welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we are kicking off four days in a row of talking about Avatar, The Last Airbender, the live-action show on Netflix. All eight episodes have dropped, but we do want to have some modicum of sanity, so instead of recording on all eight episodes, or doing something where we've spoiled everything already for ourselves, we're going to watch two episodes at a time and then record each day. So today we're recording on episodes one and two. If you've watched ahead, awesome. Uh, and if you want to send us questions or feedback or thoughts that you want to have us discuss about episodes we haven't talked about yet, please send those in to Matthew at theethicalpanda.com and just make sure to label them uh, episodes three, episode five, whatever it is, so we know not to be spoiled. We'll have more to say in a bit about other ways you can help uh, be part of the conversation, but let's just jump right into it. And I'll start with you, Paul. Episodes one and two, what'd you think? Well, I turned the show off within 10 minutes. Okay. And and then I gritted my teeth and came back to it. And then I turned it off again. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I used the seek bar to basically be like, okay, yeah, they're going to do that. Okay. I skipped a chunk of the first episode. Okay. And okay. then I picked it up where the original series starts and watched the rest of episode one and then all of episode two. And I thought there were some things that they did really well. I think that they kind of completely missed the essence of the original show mm -hmm. in a way that is somewhere between heartbreaking and infuriating. Um, to say something good in all this, I think that uh, Dallas Liu as um, Prince Zuko does a fantastic job mm -hmm. with... Um, I, I, I think the scripts are very bad. I think the dialogue is brutal. Um, but I think a lot of the acting performances are actually very good. Mm -hmm. Um, also Ken Leung as, yeah. um, Commander Zhao, I think is fantastic. And, you know, it's, that's good because spoilers for, you know, season one of the original series, like he's uh, the actually, main, I'm no, gonna, no. Okay. I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. We're, um, so what we're actually yeah. going to do this is I think a lot of people are probably have already seen the animated show and we're going to be mm -hmm. comparing the two the whole way we go. Yeah. But what we're going to do is the first part of the conversation, we'll try and just talk about what happens in episode one and two. Okay. And then in a later section, we'll talk about what we know, having seen all of Avatar yeah. about what's happening in these episodes. Well, I, so then I'll just say that I think that Ken Leung brought a, um, a lot of nuance and like verve. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly the best word, but just he brought a lot to a role that I think um, I think at this point in the series, both Zhao and Zuko are um, more interesting characters to me than they were in the original series. So yeah. I would say those are the two spots where I feel like it's really shined so far. I think it me. makes sense. Makes sense. Riki, what about yourself? It was interesting for me listening to Paul's reaction to the beginning because I had maybe not as strong a reaction, but a similar, oh, we're, we're doing it this way reaction to the opening. And so what we're talking about here is that it starts in the past. Mm -hmm. um, like from, from the perspective of the main story a hundred years ago with um, the comet. That and the the beginning of the Fire Nation's war on the other other tribes, and we get we get Aang's like kind of full backstory 
in the first, I, I think, like 10 to 15 minutes. And that that is completely different from how the animated show starts. And I... I question it. I, like my, my reaction is not as strongly negative, I think, as Paul's, but I, I definitely wonder like how it's going to play out. And it, and I often use the term manipulative in terms of writing mm-hmm. of uh, television and movies. And to me, like I, I kind of felt manipulated, like emotionally manipulated by that opening, which is not. It is not necessarily a negative thing, but again, it's very different from the animated show and it sets a different tone, I think, is the main thing. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. I'm kind of in a mixed place because I think I had a very similar reaction, Paul, to what you were talking about the first time and kept thinking to myself, this is not the show that that I was looking for. And then about two and a half hours later, while doing some other work, I turned it on again and watch the first two episodes again. Kind of like I've talked about with something like Mad Max, um, the most recent one, or uh, you know, other things like that. When I was looking to compare it to the original, it, it, it fails and does not grasp so much of what I love about the original. And we'll get into more specifics about that. We're all kind of dancing around it, but I'm guessing we're on, on the same thing. But then when I watched it again, I feel like I was able to say to myself, okay, they're going to tell a different story. They're going to tell a story in which, among other things, the character of Aang is fundamentally different. And I actually, I asked myself, is that a story I'm interested in in hearing? And my end result was, yeah, I I think that's an interesting story to hear them tell. Um, But I do agree it's going to be hard because... I think I went into this with fairly low expectations of how close it would or wouldn't be to the original, but I agree that that first, the first part of it was just, I mean, the whole thing was also just, you know, I, I really missed what it, what it was about the original. And so let me, let me see if the biggest thing that I thought was different. Let me see if it's the same for you. For me, and we talked about this for those who haven't heard it on our avatar primer episode, so much of what makes Aang the character he is, is that he is, and you know what? Forget what I just said because we're gonna. Like, there's no way to have this conversation without spoiling stuff that comes later. So if you haven't seen the animated show, we are going to spoil you about that. At least in general terms, we'll try to avoid too many specifics. I will say that I think what you're about to talk about is not what bothered me so much about the beginning. Okay, sounds good. Well, for me, not this was not just the yeah. beginning, but the whole two the episode whole, arc. Sure. Okay. What I came to love about the show, and I admit, I I didn't love it as much, especially in the first season, Aang is a child. He's an incredibly wise child. He's an incredibly powerful child. But he is a child, and he is not, as we first meet him, trauma-stricken. He is joyful. He is able to take joy in small things. And, you know, he gets rescued, and... People want to talk to him about the war, and one of the first things he wants to do is go penguin sledding. And and this is kind of the the spoiler part. We come to realize that he is deeply traumatized. It's just that one of the things he's he he is still the kid who loves doing those things, but also on some level he's focusing on those fun things to not focus on the trauma. And there's a great episode about helping him kind of reconnect with that. And I didn't see any of that in this. I saw Ang as a kid who went through some horrific experiences and carries a lot of guilt and carries a lot of trauma. And I didn't see the whimsy. 
in him at all. I didn't see the joy. Um, and, and so I think that was the, and, and that's where I was like, okay, well, what if, if I can view this as a very different kind of Aang, but let's see where that goes with the story instead. Okay. That's not what I would have chosen for them to do, but that's an interesting thing for them to do. Um, but what about you guys? Is that, is that at all in line with, uh, Paul, what you were seeing, or is that, as you said, something totally different? Well, I feel like they tried to have some of that a little bit along the way. I agree that they, mm-hmm. the, the way it came about or the way that it was revealed or the fact that, you know, the, the trauma was kind of front loaded uh-huh. a little bit compared to the series, um, sort of, sort of disrupts that there was a, you know, there's a moment where he's like splashing in the water with Katara. Right. And like, right. and, and I think they were kind of trying to go for that. I'm like, okay, there's, there's a little bit of that there. You know, um, I agree that it's not as much, um, the thing that will do, Ricky, do you want to respond to that first? And then we'll get into the other separate thing that actually, like, well, struck yeah, me. like I was stricken. <laughs> I guess I, I disagree about the lack of whimsy. I mean, mm, okay. I, I saw the same thing, the, the scene with Katara practicing her waterbending and then they end up, I, I can't remember if she starts teaching him in the animated show this early, but the fact that they were playing in the water, I, I thought mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. meant to show that, that he's not there yet at the point where he wants to learn waterbending. He just wants to have fun. Yeah. I, I, and I, I, I guess basically I feel like some of that's there, but I, I think it's just not as much as it, it's like very prominent in the show you yeah. know, with like the whole penguin sledding and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing to me that told me that I was watching a very different show was like all these murders in the beginning that none of the mm-hmm. protagonists saw, none of the protagonists, right. none of the people that we see in the present day saw them take place. So the way I feel is like, there's absolutely no reason to put them on screen. They're purely gratuitous. Mm-hmm. They're just telling us what sort of show we're watching, you know, that we're right. watching a Netflix show where a defenseless person is going to get burned to a crisp on screen. And in a situation that makes no sense for the story, by the way, like it's just so that the arch villain can like spout inane exposition and give the audience like a sense of stakes. So you're like, Ooh, people get burned by, mm-hmm. you know, by firebending, which the animated series, like very kind of pointedly, occasionally people get burned by firebending, but mostly they just like get knocked down, you know? And I think in, in the animated show, there's a sense of all this tragedy having, having taken place in the past. And especially in the case of Aang, he's trying to process all these things that happened when he wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Right. And I feel like by not putting all of that directly on screen, then we're like living that along with Aang. Right. You know, and there was a show that we did a while ago, uh, I guess on the sibling podcast, where somebody dies off screen and the character, the main character doesn't, isn't there for that. And so we kind of share that feeling of hearing about the death instead of seeing it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like that can be a useful thing where you, you actually have the audience experience parts of the story the same way that the, you know, the protagonist does. Yeah. Um, but mostly just, it just felt like crass and disgusting. And if I wanted to watch that, I just watched the boys. Like mm-hmm. to me, the thing that I love so much about the original show is that it does 
deal with many of the horrors of the world and the horrors of war and particularly like the after effects in a way that has a certain lightness that you you rarely get and that I think this show is deliberately trying not to have. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, I honestly, like my biggest pet peeve in fiction also just like things I don't want to watch are just like defenseless people getting murdered. Like I'm just not interested in that. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like they just very pointedly were like, we want to put this in your face in this way. And I'm like, that's not why I want to watch this show. Yeah. You know, I want to watch this show for other reasons. So I got through that part and um, it, you know, I guess warmed up to it. I don't know, word choice, but, um, <laughs> you know, um, there were, there were parts that I really did enjoy, as I said. Um, but just that really started with like a, a, I started it with a very bad taste in my mouth, just being like, Oh, yeah. I don't feel like the producers or writers of this show appreciated the original show the same way I did. Perhaps they appreciated mm. it in some ways that I didn't. That's fine. And they're going to do their own adaptation. Yeah. But it said to me in like one scene, this is not the adaptation that you would want. Not that I even really want an adaptation in the first place, though. So, right. Yeah, I would very much agree with all that. And I think it, in some ways, I think maybe my seeing the lack of whimsy from Aang is probably influenced by the fact that we, we start so much darker because you're sure. right. That's yeah. to me, Aang's journey is that we start, we the audience start very whimsical. Mm-hmm. And as he gets darker and darker, and th- there's an extent to which, like, I wanted to see penguin sledding, but I kind of wonder would it have felt glaringly wrong after just watching, like, hey, this kid is penguin sledding, and his people all just got, you know, brutally murdered. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it might. You know, I've seen things that I feel like do that, and and it doesn't feel right. And in the show, they're able to pull it off because they kind of they don't front load the trauma, right? They don't show us right away all of the horrors of what's happened. They they let us kind of uncover that along with the the characters and right. particularly along with Aang. And so it, it feels different, I think, as a result. It was so dark. And like literally, like that first sequence in the capital city was like yeah. physically dark. And yeah. then that matches what we've been talking about, the emotional darkness of the, the violent acts. And the other part of that that I thought was deliberate in the opening sequence was the action elements, the bending. Oh, yes. Right? Because yeah. the other thing that this show has to overcome is the history of the live action movie in which mm-hmm. the bending was very different and has, has often been mocked for how simplistic and how not martial arts it was. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought the action portrayed with the bending was very good. Um, I'm not sure about the VFX of it. Maybe that's the reason it was so dark other than just Mm. for the mood is maybe they're trying to hide some of it. But what was on screen looked very good. It looked very much like the action sequences from the animated show in terms of their physicality. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, and it felt to me like they wanted to display some of that and that power and flash early yeah. on because in the show it you know it it takes a while right it does, yeah. yeah a bit of a slow burn and, and, uh, <laughs> and i do feel like there was a part i was apprehensive about that and i think i don't like how they do it in part because what i was thinking is it's adults fighting adults which is right. something we almost never see in the original it's true. 
there's almost always a teenager or someone else young, younger than you know an adult mm-hmm. on screen. I will say I do I want to hear more from you guys at a later point about the martial arts of it. I did think that the fire bending in terms the the bending in general in terms of the CGI and all that looked very good, much better than the the earlier live action. It it looked very believable to me. And one thing I did think they did right cuz it threw me a bit, but here's here's my understanding of it. Tell me if you all disagree. And this is a very direct spoiler, so I want to be a little careful about it. But I think Fire Lord Ozai himself said, or someone else said, that at the time they attack the Air Temple, they're 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 even more powerful than they normally are. And you know, in the in that very first scene where the Earth Temple person is trying to get away with the uh, you know the secret plans uh, for the Death Star. I'm sorry, I mean for the uh, <laughs> invasion of the Earth Kingdom. He's literally hit by a fireball and he's knocked down and then gets back up and like his clothes are fine. Right, right. And then later during the attack on the air temple, as you said, it is like literally getting hit by fire. People are burned badly and they're killed. I At first I thought that was inconsistent until I realized later when again the you know Zuko and, and Z, uh, General, Z, General Zhao and all of them are attacking – we're back to fireballs can hurt you and can knock you down, but won't always necessarily burn you or certainly not kill you. I think that was because, and I assume they'll tell us about more about this later, that during the time they attacked the air nomads, firebending was more powerful. Well, it was during Sozin's Comet, right? Which got named Sozin's Comet because they attacked the air temple during it. Right. And killed all the airbenders. Um, I think... Sozin's comet was already in the sky before the first scene. It was. Oh, right. Yeah. But like maybe it wasn't as close to the planet at the time. And so their strength was gradually increasing. Also, though, they actually did want the guy to get away. Right. That's true, too. Which is why it then makes no sense that they then captured him and brought him back for the little expository session and, Mm -hmm. you know, barbecue. So, like, why didn't they just let him get away? You know, they just well, the had other, to make it that convincing. Yeah, the other, the other guy, guy got, got away. away. Yeah. Yeah. But it just did, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, I, I could see like a combination of like maybe the comment wasn't as close yet, or you know, um they weren't they were kind of half hearted in their efforts. They were trying to make it look good, right. but they like wanted him to at least get the the scroll to the other guy to yeah. then which also this plan doesn't make sense and isn't really from the original, yeah. right? Where they they leak a thing because then they want everybody to think about the Earth Kingdom, but then they think the Airbenders are going to go help the Earthbenders because they said he said that then the air air nomads and the water tribes will go try and help the Earthbenders, but then they're going to try and attack the Airbenders who are having a big festival during the comet, which they have to know increases firebending, right? Like, right, and they know that they're going to plan some attacks, so like. I don't know. It, it just it, it it bothered me from that. Like they no. added a bunch of kind of. Com- does it? It works for you? No, no, no. I think oh. you're absolutely right. It oh, okay. doesn't work because when we get to the air temple, they're talking about having to send assistance to the Earth Kingdom, right? And the monks are talking about shipping Aang away for, yeah, for yeah, training right. because yeah. he, as the Avatar, he has to be the one to help stop. The Fire Nation. Yeah. So if the Fire Nation just never 
leaks these plans, yeah. they, they could have mm-hmm. done a sneak attack on the air temple, like, completely. So right, and it, they could send four sneak attacks, I mean. I, I think, like, plot-wise, it would have made more sense if they leak the attack on the Earth Kingdom, the air nomads send their best warriors to the Earth Kingdom, mm-hmm. and then the air temple is less defended. Yeah, that I makes sense. It is, sure, is how I feel like it should have happened, so maybe there's a little bit of weird plotting going on here yeah yeah no i can definitely see that i can definitely see that there, yeah yeah it did seem if you want to show off your your cgi bending early i totally get that but i agree doing it in this way having it be so dark and, and i guess that's all here's what i think is going to for me be the fundamental challenge of this is in general i don't think there's anything wrong with saying Here's this fascinating story that was told primarily for one audience. We are now going to take that story and tell it for a different audience, which will in some ways change the story, but we'll try to be as true to that story as we can be. And often that is like, you know, it's written as a kid's story or a YA story, and now they're going to tell it for a more adult audience or whatever it is. And I think that often works. But I think, and again, as, as we all talked about, Uh, for quite a while. And Paul, you really convinced me of this many years ago. This story, it's not that it's a kid's story. It's not that it's a story told for kids. It is fundamentally a story about a child. And that, that can be told in a more adult way than the cartoon was, than the animated show was, but you still have to keep that. It it is about someone who can be both very wise and very strong and still have the whimsy. And as you said, maybe maybe there's more of it there than I'm giving credit for. But I think what you said, your Paul, about them not getting the that point of the show. I, I I'm gonna give them some more chance to see if they do or to see if they're gonna try and say, what if we make it a different point? Mm-hmm. But it definitely is not that original one. And that's that's sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much how I feel. You know, it's like, it's a show where the protagonists are kids, you know, or teenagers. Right. And like, you know, there's only so much like you can really change. That story is really only going to work in certain ways. And and there's an extent to which I feel like maybe the original series was the perfect, um, you know, marriage of medium and story where this is a story that was meant to be told in animation and that right. trying to adapt it for live action is just a fundamentally difficult idea if nothing else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know in terms of like taking a story and making it darker or whatever, like if it's not just for the sake of making it darker, I mean, I don't know. I love the dark Knight Batman. That's not who Batman always was. You know, mm-hmm. I love the Netflix daredevil. That's not who daredevil ever always was. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm not opposed to like having different versions of characters. I right. guess it's like when there's an animated series, then you're just trying to make like the live action adaptation. It feels a little different than when it's like comic book characters that have had 40 iterations already in the comics. And then you're just ad- adapting them in different ways, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, as I did say, though, I think there are some things that it's doing very well. And I, I mean, I am going to give it the chance to like, hopefully, yeah. even if it doesn't capture some of these things that I love, I do hope that it manages to capture some of them and then maybe even bring something that that was absent 
or kind of latent in the original show, but like could we could get more of right mm. than we did. Yeah. Yeah. This is coming out at a, a difficult time because we had the Netflix live action one piece within the past six months, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. And that was such, that was such a success at capturing the essence of the characters of the, the one piece manga and anime and and it just like blew everything away in terms of all of the other adaptations we've had, like Cowboy Bebop, Yu Yu Hakusho came out after, and and so like this is coming out at a time when it's like oh now we have this example of something like it finally succeeded, whereas like so many other uh, anime to live actions have not succeeded, so <laughs> it could have it could have struck it you know a couple of months before. And been successful, right? But mm-hmm. now it, it's like when the MCU happens, like, oh, the MCU worked. How about if we try to make the DCU work or mm-hmm. the Sony Spider-Verse mm-hmm. universe work? And they don't. And it's like, well, why why can't we be the MCU, right? So yeah. it, it's difficult when one like very prominent example succeeds so well. And now like it, it's probably even harder to follow that up at this time. Yeah, and I, I I personally am judging it on that. Like, oh well, it's not quite One Piece yet. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's fair. And I, I think I don't know One Piece, but I know for Cowboy Bebop, for example, it it is animated, but is by no means a kids show. Like, if someone asked me what's a good show to have their eight year old watch, like I think some eight year olds would enjoy it. But I think I you know it deals with very adult topics and very adult themes, and you know so does Avatar, so do a lot of other kids shows, but. To me, Cowboy Bebop is it, it's animated, but there's nothing about it that says, "Oh, this is primarily aimed at kids." In the same way, someone like Avatar, I think, was. Uh, and in some ways, I think like it, it's always weird talking about that separation between the two because I think the best shows are ones that maybe aimed at one audience, but that all audiences can enjoy. Yeah, you know, which I think Avatar very much was. Yeah, yeah. Or it has something for various different people, right? Yeah, right. yeah. When I watched The Muppet Show as a kid, my mother absolutely loved it. And then when I grew up and watched it again as an adult, I realized there was a whole lever- layer of meaning and and jokes and references that as a six-year-old, I was totally missing that my mother loved. You know, mm-hmm. Let's talk about the, the, the bending just a little bit more. Paul, as a martial artist yourself, as someone who's talked a lot about this and studied a lot, I know one thing you always said that you loved about the animated show was how each of the four... Uh, benders, you know, it was their own martial art, but it was clearly drawn on different um, martial arts from our own world. And and each of their martial arts seemed to really fit the ethos and philosophy of the different element that they were doing. It, it did seem to me like the, the movements were different between the, the different groups, but as someone with a lot more training and understanding of this, how did that look to you? Fine, I guess I would say. I'd say overall, you know, the martial arts mostly looked good to me, believable. Um, you know, I think pretty much everybody who was who was doing action was was moving well. It felt well choreographed. There were some kind of conspicuous cuts where I felt like the fluidity between the martial arts, like the actual physical act of bending, and then the result of the bending, right, the elemental result, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't feel as fluid to me as it as it does in the animation. 
I mean, part of that is because you're layering, you know, VFX on top of physical action, right? right? Whereas in the animation, you're just you're just drawing the whole thing. So um, not to minimize that achievement, because I think in the in the animated series, it's fantastic. But just that to me seems like a str- more straightforward thing where you're working in one medium. Here, you basically have two forms of media that you're laying one on top of the other. And I think it's harder to do. Um, I haven't rewatched the uh, M. Night Shyamalan adaptation recently <laughs> i mean i maybe watched five to ten minutes and i was like i, I just i just can't mm-hmm. um which to be honest is how i felt in the beginning of this but then when i got back to it i was like okay there's there's definitely yeah. um strong things here i mean there's you know two performances that i think are arguably arguably better than in the original and mm-hmm. um and definitely some some stuff uh but in terms of the martial arts like it seemed fine katara isn't really that powerful yet. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that she doesn't, you know, her movements, they don't show too much of that yet. Right. Um, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing more of that. It does kind of develop in the first two, but um, uh, there's some spots where they kind of cut from the result of her bending to then her kind of like holding her arms. And I'm kind of like, okay, you know, that was a choice. And I think mm-hmm. it was because they wanted it to be a surprise, specifically like where she, you know, brings the water geyser up to knock aside Zuko's fireball to try and knock them off Appa, right? But, right. um, and that's just that, but to me, that like maybe that's more editing than like yeah. choreography, you know? Um, but overall, I thought the choreography was good and, you know, better than, I mean, mm-hmm. I would compare it more to the 2010 adaptation than the original series, um, was like felt a cut above this so far but also right. it's like it's animation you can have people move however you want you know here it's like yeah. you actually have to have people doing those stunts mm-hmm. and i i think in terms of them just being human beings doing all of that um yeah so far so good is what i would say well, especially because one thing i was thinking about was that you know the voice actor you cast has nothing to do with the physicality of the of the animated character on screen yes whereas there are some people who are cast who I think were quite good, but I don't think of them as martial artists. Like, you know, the the actor who's playing Uncle Appa, I'm sorry, I mean Uncle Mr. Kim, I mean Paul Sung Young Lee, um, the the actor who played Mr. Kim and Kim Convenience yeah. and has been many many other things. I think he's fantastic as Uncle Iroh. I'm really liking him. I don't know if he's ever studied martial arts in any way. Maybe he has, but he certainly hasn't considered that in any of the other stuff. He and- has? Really? Okay. 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 I'm going to talk about Paul Sun Young Lee for a moment. <laughs> Here we go. Because I was very disinterested in the idea of another live action adaptation of mm-hmm. The Last Airbender. And I saw some video, someone talking about something. It might have been on his like some like Canadian awards show where he was getting an award for mm-hmm. playing, you know, Kim Sang Il on um, Kim's Convenience. And I was just like, Dude would be a great, yeah, Iro. He would be a great Uncle Iro. And one of the reasons was, I mean, you know, he's got the build, mm-hmm. right? He's like, he's got a certain size to him. Yeah. Um, you know, at the time I was thinking like, well, he can definitely do an accent that feels convincing and doesn't feel like really fake. And he's obviously chosen not to, and to you know, just mm-hmm. speak his normal. Canadian English, right? And and that's fine. I don't think that really um matters one way or the other, but like 
if you're going to have someone do an accent, you, you don't want someone to do a terrible accent, right? Like that's, you really don't want that. Um, and, and he could do comedy while also being serious and he can move well because mm-hmm. in Kim's convenience, the first season, there's a hop keto episode where he goes and does hop keto. Oh, you're right. And okay. I could tell the actors like he's moving, like yeah. he can move. And so I can definitely see him be someone who, you know, is mostly going to be kind of, oh, have a cup of jasmine tea. And then at some point, you know, is going to be like, did I ever told, tell you how I got the name Dragon of the West? Yeah. It's more of a demonstration, really, you know, and then just be like a total badass. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I – anyway, that's why I watched the series. And, and he can do that. But he's yeah. not like – a, a martial artist first and foremost, which is like right. the Aang that they cast in the um, in the M Night Shyamalan one, like sent an audition tape that was basically just like a mar- martial arts demonstration, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I think your point that you were getting to that I so graciously interrupted was <laughs> that you need actors who can act, but then also can do action, right? And like. Those two things don't always live in the same body. Yeah. Right. I mean, they rarely do. It's because that's like two totally different skills that you need to be able to put together. And I mean, of course, you can have stunt doubles, but you don't want to do too much with stunt doubles because then you never have the character's face in the shot and it can, right. it can be jarring. Right. Um, and, you know, unless it's like din jarring and then it, it works. Yeah. But sorry, I'm, I'm on. But even the, ba- even the basics, I like, of course, they're going to have stunt doubles. Of course, there's probably going to be some wire foo going on here. Mm-hmm. But even just like the basic forms of the kata, like when they take their stances and poses, yeah. like that that has to be believable. Yes. Yeah. That they know their, their stuff. So For sure. I, I do think it's very important. And that's why like casting live action, I think the most prominent example for me is going to be Fire Lord Ozai mm. in the animated shows played by Mark Hamill, right? Fantastic <laughs> yeah. voice actor. Yeah. But now, like, at the end of episode two here, we got we got the image. We got Daniel Day Kim is going to be Ozai. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of his fights and uh, looking forward to seeing him take his shirt off for one <laughs> of those fights, right? And I, I don't know, like the martial arts, I was, even though I didn't like the storytelling style of the starting in the past, I did like that we got to see um, trained airbenders at the air temple fight yeah. off the Fire Nation soldiers. Because in the animated show, it's only Aang. I don't think we ever get to see a flashback of the airbenders fighting. Uh, maybe one of the avatars, right? But but seeing like this very prominent martial arts battle between fire and air and, and the movements of the air monks to me was very reminiscent of the, I believe, the, the Talo in Shang-Chi, the way that they moved in the circular fashions. And of course, both literally manipulating, you know, airflow and causing circular wind patterns around them. Like, I, I really love that. Yeah. I can see that. And I mean, I I was really struck by that battle. And even in that early scene, which again, the first time I was just like, why is this here? Then I went back and rewatched earthbending looks terrifying as it should. Like, you know, the ability to like throw rocks, throw boulders, throw, you know, sharp pebbles at people, and then just to pull up a wall to help keep you safe. In some ways to me, the only one that hasn't really looked badass so far is waterbending. And that's because as, as Paul, you were saying, 
so far we've only seen Katara and she's still still learning right now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I actually didn't see that whole battle because that's the part that I'm like, oh, here's the genocide. I'll, yep. I'll skip through the genocide. But like, maybe I'll go back and watch it at some point. Um, but yeah, I, I I think seeing a lot of airbending sounds cool. You know, I mean, what, the thing in the in the original series is that it's like the whole point is that it's the last airbender. Right. But right. like, you know, this this does provide more context for that. And to, to me, it kind of having Aang be the only airbender that we ever see, I think, made sort of Katara and well, everybody else who lives in this generation, um, their point of view, we can see their point of view because they've all only ever seen this one airbender and we've only seen this one airbender. Right. Whereas now we've seen, you know, centuries apart and, you know, a score of airbenders. Um, it was, was anything in the original series about Aang being like a super powerful airbender? Did that ever come up or is that kind of something that they either added or is in the, the graphic novels? I, I think they, they added or was in the graphic novels because in and Grant, I didn't memorize it, but I watched the original animated just a couple of days ago. And one of the things about the episode where he like, as we, the event, except for the whole Earth Kingdom spy thing, like, which is totally made right. up, yeah, the yeah. attack on the Air Kingdom is something like we, and, and the plotting of it all is something that we do find out about. And so the yes. Aang going there is something we see. But, and, and we've seen flashback him, you know, running away when he's told he's going to be the Avatar. Part of why I think he in the sh in the animated show he's deeply surprised because he doesn't think of himself as better than everybody else, right? And and I think that was something that was that was lacking here. In yeah, this, this felt very Anakin Skywalker the way they talked right. about him when he when they were like he's the youngest Airbender ever to receive his tattoos and mm -hmm. stuff yeah. like that. Like, not just the chosen one, but, like, the chosen one of chosen ones. Yeah. Of not only yeah. is he the Avatar, he's the greatest, the youngest, greatest airbender we've ever had. Right. 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 Yeah, because I think part of the thing in the original is that he's a good airbender, but he, he's he's made the Avatar, they know that he's the Avatar for things that have nothing to do with the quality of his bending. Right. Yeah. It's just, like, a no. sign or something. And it's, it's it's a weird decision because why sh he doesn't have to be the greatest airbender. He's the last airbender. So right, right. In this world, he's literally the only one who can do this now. Right, right. And so he, he he's now point. the greatest. Yeah. Like. He's also the best anybody's ever seen. Exactly. Because yeah. no one living ever saw those other people. So. Right. He doesn't have to be the best that ever was. So, like. yeah, that, that does feel like a weird choice to make because it – it sets him up as special beyond being the Avatar, mm -hmm. which I, I feel like should already be special enough. Yeah, 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 me too. It, it also felt like, again, I don't want the show to be all about making a 12-year-old boy feel guilty and terrible and us thinking he's terrible. But it let him off the hook for him leaving mm. a little bit more than the animated show did. It did. In, in that he's just like, I just need to kind of like go fly to clear my head. And then he specifically says, let's go back. He's like on his way back when the story right. Oh. Right. Because in the animated show, doesn't he like leave, like actually run away and like leave a letter? Right? Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't that what happened? Mm -hmm. So he yeah, actually like, ran. do this. Whereas this. Here he's like, like, I'm just going to go for a drive. And, you know. Yeah. 
and it and it leads to a very and it's this is important because it leads to a very completely different sense of responsibility and guilt mm-hmm. for this character going forward. Yeah. Like yeah. he he didn't abandon his tribe. Like he just happened to not be there when the attack happened and right. then got caught up in a storm. Yeah. At the same time in <clears throat> if he's not like the greatest of all time, you know, like then it's like what could he have done in that right. moment if he'd stayed at the Southern Air Temple in the in the animated series? Whereas here it's like yeah. if he's that good, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been the difference, but like he probably could have helped, you yeah. know, a little more than just like, you know, he's just a twelve year old kid who's an airbender but isn't like the greatest and you know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I was just gonna add that like as Star Wars fans, I did we all get like the the Order sixty six? <laughs> flashbacks during that scene mm-hmm. yeah 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 when yeah. they're hurting when they're hurting the kids and i'm just like i see the lightsaber lighting up yeah well it felt like again this was a way in which it was choosing to tell a different story and it made me a bit sad because it's it, it seems to be leaving out what i think is one of the best parts at least in some or at least changing because i think you're right paul the the public perception of why did the avatar why has the Avatar not been with us for the last hundred years is somewhat inaccurate. And there's this weird thing of Aang feels guilty for something he did, but it's not quite what everybody else doesn't is mad at the Avatar for. And it's why I really missed... It, it feels like this show is basically doing a, we're just going to tell the key parts of the story and we're going to leave out all the side quests. And the side quest mm-hmm. that we missed that is part of the story these episodes tell is the trial of the avatar in in the original part of what happens when he goes to kiyoshi island right is he finds out that there's an island right next door that hates the avatar because as they see it kiyoshi came and killed someone who's very important to that town some time ago and in going that he connects to kiyoshi as part of his trying to figure out what really happened and, and it really opens the door to these real questions of Sometimes what the avatar needs to do is not what the people want the avatar to do. And sometimes the avatar might be wrong about what that is and that there's a tension there and that that has a lot to do with how people perceive the avatar. And to me, it's one of my favorite episodes from the original series. And I I was sad that it's not here because I think it foretells that a lot of those sort of side quests are not going to be here. Mm -hmm. I I don't think we're going to get Secret Tunnel, much as I love it, but that's at least a year away. Um, But also, I just think it's such an essential story. I was reading the book last night, and the phrase Secret Tunnel was literally in the book, Mm because the characters go down a secret tunnel, and I I had to... I might have sung it out loud for a moment. You gotta. gotta. I I couldn't help it. I was like, it was reflexive. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I mean... They're doing eight episodes, right? They're not doing a 20-episode season. Um, right. The episodes are twice as long, so you yeah. should be able to cover, or even three times, right? The first one was over an hour. You yeah. should be able to cover a similar amount of ground. Um, I I kind of liked the way they did Kiyoshi here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt like it worked, like just that whole episode, that second episode. The second episode definitely worked a lot more for me. Than yeah. the first one, you know. Um, although, again, like Aang just like turning into Kyoshi also felt to me like just an excuse to like show extremely impressive bending before any of the characters are that strong mm-hmm. yet. 
you know that, that was weird like i was not yeah. expecting that to physically be ang's body doing yeah that. yeah i thought that was very weird like yeah. and there wasn't any look of like it being an apparition it's like no he just literally morphed into kiyoshi and you know the whole past lives thing was never my favorite part of the whole story but like i do like kiyoshi as a character and mm-hmm. like when i watched that i was just kind of like why don't you just do a Kiyoshi series? Like right? if you wanted to tell a different story that was fundamentally different from Aang's story, why not just do Kiyoshi's story? Like, yeah. well, it could of- be great. Like you yeah. could just do a great Kiyoshi. Yeah, you could do a bunch of different avatars and maybe they will. And maybe this was their sort of like, ah, oh, did you like that? Well, guess what? We have a spinoff coming, taking awesome. place 200 years earlier. You yeah. Know? I mean, I thought the actress playing Kyoshi was great. And and I will say what I would hope would be a part of it, because I thought it was really well done. You know, last time when we talked about this, one thing we said was that we all kind of wish that we had more Suki and, you know, mm-hmm. her story. Oh, and I oh re- gosh. I loved how they did Suki's story. Yeah, but um, now, as I, I did too. I, I loved the, the character in this one, the live action. I loved the scenes with Sokka. But that that's gonna make me miss her even more. Like oh, when she's she's not, she's not gonna show up. I mean, okay, spoilers, right? Like she's not gonna show up again for a while. Maybe not for the rest of this season. And then yeah, like I this is the this is a problem when you adapt something that already exists, right? Mm-hmm. Is that these two characters and the actors in particular just sold that. I, I loved their interactions yeah. and it was, I mean, yeah. I'll say it, like it was hot, right? Like it was that the tension was there between them. It was, it was beautifully done, beautifully acted. And now it's like, Nope, like he Sokka's going off to the Northern water tribe. Like their adventures are going to happen. You'll see Suki later. Yeah. I, I feel almost like they did that too well because then things that might happen at the end of this season that we won't talk about yet. Will mm-hmm. kind of feel, yeah, like I don't know. I mean, maybe they can really sell that too. Who knows? We'll yeah, and, and and this is know. also the problem with a like a full season television show. Like right. back in the day when you had a twenty six episode television show and you filmed the episodes, you know, kind of one at a time. Yeah, if you had an episode like this and you saw the interaction between these actors and said, oh, yeah. "Ooh, I yeah. like this." let's bring this character back or like early, yeah. get back earlier than we had kind of plotted out. Like that's the kind of change that would happen in those TV shows. Yeah. yeah. Naturally. Like Arrow, the, the yeah. character Felicity was like, just barely going to be just a thing. And then they're like, Oh, everybody loves this. And the chemistry is great. Let's just like make her a regular. And now she's like in the comics. Yeah. yeah. But Buffy, the vampire slayer spike was mm-hmm. supposed to be a one of villain right. of the week. Yeah, and he she became a part of the regular cast. Yeah, yeah. In those ways, if they do do go pretty far afield, I'd be okay with it. Like at one yes. point, I was watching sure. with I was watching with Mary, and she was like, "Wait, is Suki just going to join them?" And I was like, well, <laughs> "I wish, again, I, I hope." When he gets to the <laughs> yeah. end of the season, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, I think I think they could just not be doing anything with her. I think that'd be a mistake. I think we could have her show up again in various ways. I think we might get like her doing things with like the spirit of Kyoshi in some way at Kyoshi's temple. Mm. Like I I'm hoping yeah, you could, you could show uh, some other stuff that happens not within the presence of the right central yeah. crew. Yeah. You know? Maybe. Yeah. For sure. and, but, 
But her, the, her martial arts were spot on too, by the way. Like yeah. that, she she was like she could move well. The makeup was amazing. I was yep. like, why are you taking the makeup off? Like that felt like well, we just want to show took it the off in like right? one wipe too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mary yeah, was yeah, so yeah. upset about that. And <laughs> I magical I myself also like tried for twenty minutes to get all the makeup off, but kind of sleep, still <laughs> yeah, knowing yeah, some yeah. of it's there. Yeah. Like, I want to buy those makeup wipes, but yeah. yeah. And they did change the story pretty dramatically. Um. Sokka is arrogant and obnoxious, but he's not mm-hmm. specifically sexist. Right. Um, you know, but I was okay with that. Like, I, I felt like they're giving Sokka a different journey. And in some ways, I always got the sense that there's a tension at this point in their story, but they don't really get together until much later, in part because she sees how much he's grown up. And, mm. but I'm like, look, I have that story. This is just going to be a different version of it in a different way. And so, yeah, in some ways that I was a lot more okay with than some of the other changes we've talked about. Yeah, but it, it's a shame because the the version of the story that these characters portrayed to me, like the natural conclusion that I, I felt would have really worked here was Suki joining them at the end of this episode. Right. Right? Like just yeah. some scene with her mother and her like her mother having already packed her bags and saying like, you, you need to go with them or like whatever, like tearful goodbye between them and then like she runs after Rappa like I'm coming yeah. to like yeah like if you were writing this series from scratch that would just be like oh yeah she should join team Avatar yeah right like that would just yeah. make sense it was that good yeah I, I wonder tell me if you guys think this is true I'm starting to feel like I would like this show as an adaptation a lot more if the movie had been much better and what, what I mean by that is Paul kind of what you were saying about how Part of why the Dark Knight version of Batman works, not, not that Christopher mm. Nolan was the first to come up with it. There have been comics that went that dark, but it's also that we have so many other versions of Batman, including on screen. Mm. We still live in a world where a lot of folks, and I don't think this is anything wrong with them. It's just different perspectives. Like, I would love them to see Avatar, but they're like, eh, I just don't like animation. Or right. they'd probably watch the first couple episodes and have a reaction much like I do of, this is really a kid's show and I'm not here for it. And I think part of what I was hoping with it, I, I think I would really love for there to be a live action. I could show those folks and be like, hey, this has all the main points of the the animated. It's not animated. It's you get to enjoy it and we can talk about it and just have more of that story out in the world. And I like them telling a different kind of an avatar, the last airbender story. But I feel like I would, I want the first live action that's actually a good live action to be a lot truer to the story. And then I want to see things that go further afield. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I feel like, I don't know. I'll circle back to what I said earlier. Like maybe that story is an animated story. Maybe it's just not a story that you can execute in the same way. Live action. Like if you literally just took the same script and tried to have all the characters do exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that it would work. Maybe it would. Maybe if I'd seen One yeah. Piece and liked it, I would feel that way. I, I mean, I having seen the the series Kenshin and then watching the movies, I was really surprised the extent to which they could capture the essence of the characters who are. Th- there's a lot of like very anime specific things. Right. Mm -hmm. In the series. And they have a lot of those in the live action, which also has like, I mean, one of them has some like bloody 
fighting yeah. scenes, you know, mm-hmm. although it's very different in tone from the others for various reasons. But like um, it somehow I, I feel like it's that felt to me like a huge achievement and mm-hmm. like a lot to ask, you know, and I didn't think they would do it. And then they did um, maybe not perfectly, but very well here. I feel like actually capturing the, the original animated series in all of its everything about it that was it i feel like would probably be really hard to capture yeah um in live action cowboy bebop i think they could have done a more kind of direct adaptation instead of taking some of the liberties that they did um because of the nature of the show like you said before it's it's a different sort of show you know it's yeah. a different feel <clears throat> um i've always felt that like airbender and kenshin actually have a certain similar there's a similar something to them something in their essence that feels kind of connected well and kenshin might be the perfect example then because i absolutely love the live action kenshin yeah i, I do not at all like the the i was gonna say the kitty version of kenshin. yeah because and yeah. i i think that's not fair but to yeah, me i agree the yeah the i was gonna say it's the first thing that came to mind but to me the kenshin animated show very much feels like a kid's show Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel like I'm watching something that I'm just too old to enjoy. Right, and that's right, probably right. my personal failing. But to me, the movies are were much, much more mature yeah. Uh, yeah. in ways that are – and part of that's also because probably it's about adults and you know, it's about yeah, – like, Yeah. There's kids and there's like mm-hmm. a teenager and whatever. But, you know, it, it's like it definitely I, – I agree. And I, I don't – I don't think failing is fair. I think preference. Let's go with yeah. preference. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but like, I feel like, yeah, people have preferences. Some people just can't watch animation at all. And like, I try to dispel the notion that like, it's necessarily for children, but like, if you don't like it and you just, and you give it a chance and you still don't like it, like you don't like it. That's fine. Yeah. You know, also the first like 20, 30 episodes of Kenshin are like quite different from the mm. next like 30 or so and whatever. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's like, it's nice when there is a live action version of something that people who just can't with the animation or a mm-hmm. specific animation can enjoy. Like, cause it, to me, I mean, the last airbender is a story that I would like more people to enjoy because I think it's a great story. And I think there's a lot of value there, you know? Yeah. And you know, they're trying and they're making choices and you know, Mm-hmm. We'll see how it goes. So I just want to get some clarification. Uh, the Kenshin was an anime, right? Yes. Now I'm trying to draw a distinction here. Be- in, in when I say anime, I mean a, a Japanese product. Kenshin, based, based yes. And the the live action adaptation was also Japanese right. film. Right. Yes. Be- because so it's not the same. Yeah. Sure. And I'm not trying to be a snob here. Um, in terms of like, this is anime, like Avatar is not anime because it's not Japanese. I don't care like about that distinction, but when something is written for a Japanese audience specifically, like it's, it's very different. So I'm wondering if some of that is maybe what Matthew didn't enjoy, because one of the things that strikes me, like we're talking about Sokka being less misogynistic in the live action. And I was, while you were talking, I was thinking if the original Avatar had been a Japanese anime. Sokka, <laughs> Sokka would have been a pervert. Like that's yeah, yeah, you have yeah, to have one yeah. character that that's like a pervert, and like that's a hundred percent who who that would have been. Yeah. So e- even even the animated Avatar version of Sokka is like okay, like I can live with that. 
yeah, because right, right. I, I don't need this character that just like nosebleeds every time he sees a beautiful woman. Right, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk some more about the casting. Uh, Riki, what did you think about uh, some of the casting choices and how, how well they did or didn't work? Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to say this. I, I love Paul Sun Hyun Lee. I love him to death. And I was excited when I saw his name attached to this. Didn't didn't love his portrayal of Iroh quite yet, but you know I I'm a huge Iroh stan, so mm-hmm. it's like it it's just not quite there yet. I don't know what it is. I may have to like watch it again, sp- and specifically watch the Iroh scenes, and and maybe like I I haven't seen Kim's Convenience, so maybe you all who have mm-hmm. seen it can can chime in a little more with with his performance and like what he brings to the table. Like it, it just, some, something wasn't there. Something was missing and I'm not quite sure what it is quite yet. I, I really liked his performance, but I also felt like I, I needed to. It was a good performance. Like yeah. it, his, his acting was fine. Maybe it's the writing. I, I just don't know quite yet. I, I don't know if gravitas is the right word, but it, it's something like he felt more like a peer than kind of a wise old man. You know, who is Uncle Iroh, especially in the earlier seasons. Well, there's only three, but he he strikes me very much as that kind of like he's a little bit kooky, but very, very wild. Like there's almost Yoda-like aspect to him. Um, yes, yeah. That I felt – and maybe it may also be because I've seen him play, uh, you know, uh, Appa, um, Mr. Kim for so long, who is also – He's not a kooky old man. He's a very kind, very loving old man who's a bit of a buffoon sometimes. And that, to old me, man, those- is like probably about our age, right? Just, say again? Just for the record, he's probably about our age. He's like in his 40s or early 50s. Uh, just that's, just that's, saying, just saying. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, fair. That's oh. fair. And that may also be part of it is to me, like, I wrote someone like in his like 60s or 70s, but right. it's- yeah, I, I want to give him the chance, and I think he has the chance to really be good. And I thought he there was nothing about him that I was like bad. I was just like, this isn't quite striking me in that way. Right. I, and it was like I said last time, um, Iroh's my favorite character. So it's like there's a very high bar for me in yeah. terms of like an Iroh performance. And I think the what you mentioned, the kookiness, I, I, that could be part of it. I think uh, this portrayal of Iroh was much more, I don't know, like, it's not necessarily, I guess, deadpan. Yeah, like, like he talks about tea, but there's, it, it just, maybe it's the Zuko as well. Like, he has to play off Zuko in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And there was only really one moment where I felt like they got that really right was when they're walking around the, the village and he's talking about food and, and says something like very serious. And then partway through, he's like, oh, sticky rice. Yeah, and just like walks away, and and, yeah. and the face that Zuko made, like that was their relationship to me. And maybe just because we have fewer episodes, like they can't sprinkle those in as much or something. Yeah, I, I, I felt like in the second episode they were really getting it, especially in that spot, um, in some other spots as well. Um, and then they showed the little the bamboo leaf wrap sticky mm-hmm. rice later. Um, which makes me hungry, but (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, I have a theory and I don't like it, Mm -hmm. but like, I think it's possible that the sort of feeling that we get from Iroh 
And the difference between the animated series and here is like his accent. Like, I think that that is probably an unfortunately significant part of how, yeah, I mean, how someone's words are received, right? And I think there is this perception that if you have like an older, wise, you know, generally Asian, but it, it could it could be a number of different backgrounds um, with an accent that sounds somehow different to what you might be worth used to hearing day to day. I think there is a certain sort of wisdom that's ascribed to that, particularly in the realm of martial arts, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't want it to be that way, you know, um, and I know that he could have done an accent. I mean, I know that the actor has done many different accents throughout his his career, and he specifically said that the first time he did a Korean accent or agreed to do a Korean accent is when he did Kim's Convenience because it always felt it felt like kind of not right to him. And and I I, I know like the idea of like Asian American, Asian Canadian actors like having to do an accent all the time is like this very unfortunate typecasting thing that finally we're somewhat getting past. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but I do think some of, I mean, like a huge part of the original uncle Iroh was like the performance of Mako. Right. Like, yeah. And I believe that was just the actor's natural speaking voice. Right. And his, his accent, because I've, and I I don't know for certain, but like I've been sleeping with like Frasier running in the background and I'm like, that's Uncle Iroh. And he's playing like a book editor or publisher or something. And he mm-hmm. sounds the same, you know, um, the same way you can hear Batman if you hear uh, Cheers. Um, Kevin Conroy's in an episode. But so I, I feel like and when you say Yoda, I remember a time past when I was talking about Yoda and whatever. And like, I mean, like, why do you think George Lucas or whoever actually wrote the dialogue for Yoda, like had Yoda not use standard english grammar mm-hmm. yeah like it's probably to make him seem sort of different and and it's probably kind of supposed to be i mean it's not the same kind of grammar that someone of any particular language would necessarily speak with right but mm-hmm. like i do think it's to try and kind of replicate that feeling where people get the sense of kind of perceived wisdom i mean ironically People also often ascribe incorrectly the the like ignorance to people who have various accents, right? right? And so it can swing both ways. But I, I do feel like that was that was a part of the character in terms of the way most people experience the character and see the character that shouldn't be an integral part of the character. But I think for me, I think I had to sit with. Paul Sung-Hyung Lee as Iroh for like a full episode before in the second episode, I was ready to be like, okay, this is who Iroh is here. And I feel it. Um, His interaction with, um, with Zuko. um, And I I think really Dallas Liu does a, like brings a lot to that as well, that that dynamic I feel is going to be one of my favorite things through, throughout the show. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it did take me a little bit to get into, cause I, you know, I didn't know what he was going to go with, you know? Um, and, uh, I, I also think that the writing has, is, is not 
the best in terms of dialogue overall. And, you know, as an actor, you just, you work with what you're given, right? And then right. maybe you can make some suggestions or whatever. But if the dialogue's a little, a little clunky, maybe, mm-hmm. um, then it, it's probably just harder to bring it kind of, I think, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I think you are right that the accent of the original Iroh played by Mako. And it's weird because in that show, very few other people from the fire nation had, had any kind of accent, yeah. including his, his own brother. Yeah. His younger Ozai, brother doesn't. Right? Played by Mark Hamill, right? He just yeah. played it straight up as he usually does. Yeah. It's just the Joker. Yeah. And it's, I, I agree with everything you said about how, you know, Asian actors were were or are sometimes still often forced into roles where they have to play it a certain way, a certain accent. So I do appreciate it. But it, it is something about his voice and something about the ac- accent combined with his like cadence and speaking speed mm-hmm. just made Iro, right? And it and it's yeah. It's it's hard to replicate that and have that without the accent. I think it is is part of it, no doubt. Yeah. No, I think it's very true. I think I hadn't thought about it, but I think you're right. Like I, I I hate that, but it's it's part of just the you know way we're all taught and and things like that. And it's funny because I think you're right that it is primarily experienced with Asian accents and things like that. But definitely not exclusively, because one of the ones that I was thinking about this was, is that often, especially a lot of the TV and movies I grew up with, there's a time when the character will go see their like their Jewish grandfather, mm. and I, I I couldn't for the life of me tell you what it was, but there's some movie I saw in the '90s where it was a Jewish grandfather, but clearly like the family had been in New York for a number of generations, or I know they weren't even in New York because often the Jewish accent and the New York accent are often intermingled. Yeah. But this person just had like a kind of standard American accent and it felt completely wrong to me mm-hmm. because I associated, you know, wisdom coming and granted this is in part because my uncle Lou had that kind of an accent and he was very much the the wise old man of our family. Right. He's been passed away for 20 years and we still tell stories of, you know, what uncle Lou would say and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, so we'll see where that goes. I do think that the casting, uh, as you were bringing up, uh, Paul, of Commander Zhao and of Zuko is phenomenal. Um, I heard people online complaining that Zuko's scar is a lot more understated than it is, but I think it's perfect. I think, again, it's the kind of thing like in anime you have to go – not anime, in animation, you sometimes have to go over the top a little bit uh, with a scar. And I think this looks much more realistic but still incredibly – you know like affecting like this person's clearly been through something terrible yeah um i thought Sokka again the Sokka we talked about the Sokka Suki chemistry i really liked Sokka yeah Sokka Sokka, okay played by Ian Owsley he just he just nailed it right like of all the characters i think he is like the most similar to the the animated version of the character like the look, the the way he talks, like his voice, the the comedy, like I I just prob- probably my favorite uh, of the characters so far is is the Sokka character. Yeah, I think in part because I don't hate him. It's curious what you said about how like every anime has to have certain things. I think a lot of American animation often has to have that one guy 
who's a chauvinist and he's arrogant and he thinks that he's the hot shit with all the ladies and like Wally West in the um, the Wally West version of mm. Flash in Young Justice is what comes to mind most. But often there's that character and you're just mm. constantly like eye rolling in part because it's so over the top, but it's animation. And that's kind of how Sokka comes off to me in the first couple episodes of Avatar, uh, The Last Airbender animated. And he changes rather quickly. And I've always wondered if that was always the idea or if they were even getting test audiences early that were like, ah, we just, th- this Sokka guy is just kind of painful to have on screen. But I felt, and maybe this is just the, the way they're playing a story, maybe it's the actor, in this, he's not arrogant in the way that just I, I don't want to watch the way he was in, early in the, in the show. To me, I much more feel the weight of this is a 13-year-old boy who was told – this is a boy of like 15, 16 who was told at 13 you have to protect the village and who took mm-hmm. that on. And it you know, it, it did things to him in the way it will often do to any person of any age, but especially a 13-year-old. But I felt much more sympathetic to him and like eager to see him grow than I did with the animated. Yeah, I mean I think he has the arrogance and the chip on his shoulder like without the side of misogyny. Yeah. Right? Which like it, – it, we were talking about that in the the pre episode, yeah. right? Where it's like, yeah, I, f- I feel like he needed the kind of arrogance. That's the, it's not even arrogance. It's like the, the faux cockiness. That's the mm-hmm. co- clearly kind of compensating for the fear of inadequacy, basically the, like right. the weight of this responsibility with the knowledge that he might not be up to it, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, you just, that to me feels like an important part of the character. And I think they've showed that nicely without like it having to be this whole misogynistic thing, which, yeah. which is nice. Like I, I feel like they, they, they got the essence and left out some of the specifics. And that yeah. is what I'm looking for. Most of the time is like, okay, what, what drives this character? What's, what's kind of really important about this character. And then like kind of what sort of just like surface, you yeah. know, Oh, his scar's a little smaller. Okay, whatever. You know, like her head tails aren't long enough. Okay. Well, they're probably really heavy on a live action. Yeah. First for Soka. Yeah. You know, like, so it, to me, it feels like a good instance of um, getting the essence of the character without necessarily yeah. um, trying to match all the specifics. I do feel like I could get a little bit more humor, hopefully, as we go along, maybe. Yeah. Um, I- I feel like they're but definitely missing the misogyny, but it also felt like the in the animated show, it feels like his confidence is so overblown that it is often humorous because it's often like Katara and Aang and or both of them, or sometimes even Toph, who we'll meet later, rolling their eyes at just how ridiculous he is. And yeah. that he you know, he did take control of the of the town and defend them quite well. You know, he is very competent in this. And so yeah, it just feels like it's it just dialed down from like a 10 to a 7 in a way I really appreciate. Sure. What do you guys think of Aang? Medium. <laughs> I, I yeah. mean, like, obviously like a very important character, uh, but I, I think given how young the actor is, uh, Gordon Cormier, it's it's more important that he not be bad than he be yeah, good. Yeah, does that yeah. does that make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I think he's doing the job that he needs to do, and, and that's fine. Like he doesn't need to carry the show, but he needs to be there throughout the entire show. And like I I, I don't hate it. I don't love it. 
and that's what he needs to do. Yeah, I mean, Aang is one of my favorite characters of all time, and I don't even know if he's one of my favorite characters or if he's just one of the characters I feel like I identify with the most in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like those are kind of two different things, right? There's characters that I love that I'm like, yeah, I, I think the Joker's a great character, but I can't say I identify with him, you know? Yeah. But like, <laughs> but like Aang is a character who like feels important to me, and I feel like so far this feels like Aang. I feel like there's yeah, not as much of the whimsy as there could be, not as much of the lightness. Um, I think some of the dialogue, some of the lines are not great, and I don't fault the actor for that. Um, I think he moves well. You know, I, I'm not, like, blown away, but mm-hmm. um, I, I, you know, I, I feel like that's a role where you have time and, right. like, kind of like what Riki was saying, like, sort of, like, get the job done. And like, to me, like, don't blow it, kid, you know, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. just don't blow it and it'll be yeah. okay because you get more to build on as you go on. And I, I think one thing about young actors and, and not necessarily just in terms of 12 versus 24 versus 36, but like mm-hmm. in terms of within their career, right. People who haven't been acting for decades um, and don't have the most experience. I think when paired with, actors who have more experience and, and do bring a lot, I think that's a, it's like a learning opportunity. It's an opportunity yeah. for growth and there's something to play off of. And, and that's one of the things that I think is so challenging here, having multiple young actors working together, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to be harder. Um, but I, I did think like his scenes with Gyatsu, like I found oh. them moving. You yeah. Know? Like I thought those were very well done. Well, I, I was definitely going to bring that up. The, yeah. the ad- addition of that interaction earlier on and having Gyatsu on screen yeah. really worked. And, and that actor, hang on, I, I got it written down right here. Casey uh, Lim is Monk Gyatsu. Yeah. Absolutely, like, perfect. And yeah. I, I can I can understand why they're going to use that as their Luke used the Force. They're going to keep like using his voice, right? right? right, right. The line mm-hmm. he says of like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you are strong and kind and generous. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's going to be repeated multiple times because it's perfect. It's a perfect line for the yeah. character and for, yeah. you know, for the delivery. And, yeah. And they're like, I don't, you know, I don't want to have the power. And it's like, that's why you're going to be a great avatar. Yeah. 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 Uncle, I, Uncle I just want to be your friend. And he's like, you will always be my uh-huh. friend. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it hit like, so hard. Yeah. It did. It did. And I actually, I had to pause it and I had to like talk to my television and say, are you really going to do this to me? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and I, one of the things I was thinking about in terms of the acting is also whimsy is really hard to do on screen, especially yeah. for a fairly newer actor. And I mean, very clear, I'm not saying this is the actor's fault. But whimsy can be done very badly, mm. especially mm. by a young kid. Mm. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just see if you can hear in your mind Jake Lloyd Anakin saying, yippee! Like, or now this is pod racing. No, yeah, you just blew like, up a ship. That's not pod racing. Yeah, those, those are terrible lines of dialogue. But also, again, I do not – if the director could get – Natalie Portman to give a bad acting performance. The acting is definitely not Jake Lloyd's fault, but those scenes come off as cringeworthy yeah. in part, uh, you know, because of that. And I think so to the extent to which, like, I want whimsy. I am okay without whimsy if my option is bad or cloying whimsy. <laughs> um, well, and so the last major actress we have, 
So the last major actor we haven't talked about yet is um, Katara. And I, I want to start with her. I want The first thing I'll say about her, I want to talk about her in her own right, but big spoiler here. Uh, so skip ahead if you really don't want to be spoiled, but there is going to be the idea of romance between Katara and Aang introduced later in the show. And to me, one of the things that came across very strongly in live action, I feel like it's a lot easier to know what ages people are. And there was a set. I never liked that idea. We talked about this in our last episode, in part because Katara feels older than Aang to me. In this, it was incredible. Like to me, looking at those two actors together, and maybe they're going to extend the timeline of the show some, so that Aang really grows up. Because in the original, it all happens over six months. But looking at those two, the idea of him having a crush on her felt very much like you know nine-year-old Anakin having a crush on fourteen-year-old Padme, and. It, yeah, it it just made me I it made me very uncomfortable because it really feels like they are they are of two different age groups at this point right now. They they are, and I I've looked into this right. The in the animated show, Aang is supposed to be twelve, and mm-hmm. I believe Katara is either fourteen or fifteen. I thought she was thirteen. Okay, maybe, but she she is older than him, right? Yeah, right. And the, I think part of the problem is how young they are, plus the three seasons take place in one calendar year, so that they yeah. don't age up that much. My understanding is that the live action show, to account for the fact that they have to film over multiple years, and the actors are going to age up, the, the human beings are going to age up, mm-hmm. they are going to let the characters also age up at the same pace. Okay. So, so by the end of the show, in theory, we should we should have a Ang character who is like fifteen or maybe sixteen, and I mm. I think that will make it more palatable and more believable that they have this like young romantic relationship yeah. budding. Yeah. Right. But I, it was just like the fact that the original show all happened in one year, so he's at most thirteen. I think that is what really made that ending awkward. Yeah. The romance. Because to me, it's not even just that it's an age. It's that, especially in this, she is a teenager. He is a child. Yeah. And that's what comes across to me. I mean. I I know those lines are arbitrary, but like puberty is not arbitrary. Like it's a thing people go through. Um, Sure. I don't know. I I feel uncomfortable with the discomfort to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I mean, I hear where you're coming from. I mean, so here with these. The actors here, I think they're like three years apart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, although I think he's like 15 and she's like 18 or something. Something know. like that, yeah. Um, yeah. Which I guess they're both teenagers then. But like, mm-hmm. um, it, I mean, he's a centurion also, you know, I mean, he's, he's like 100 something technically. Yeah, you're rolling your eyes, but like literally, I mean, because that's the thing though. It's like, I don't know. I think... I think it's the sort of thing that, like, it's one of those things that is usually problematic, but to simply look at something and say this is usually problematic and therefore it's never okay, I think is problematic. And Agreed. Yeah. And I understand, like, in the first show, kind of sort of where people are coming from, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I don't think she's supposed to be 15 or 16 in the first show. I think she's 13 and he's 12, and they're, like, a year apart. Yeah. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, like... In a lot of ways, he's more mature than she is. You know, it's like they're mature in different ways. And 
I think it's complicated and I don't know. I do think that their romance kind of comes like a little out of left field, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's not really, it does feel more like, you know, he kind of has a crush on her and she's like just focused on, she's obsessed with him as being the avatar, right? you know, like she's, that's like her focus in the world in life is like, Aang is the avatar and is going to save the world. Right. You know, so that like eventually blossoming into some sort of something else is not illogical or unbelievable to me. Um, And to be clear, it's not that I think that it can never happen. Yeah. I I do think that stages, like I said, you know, they're not always the same, but I think that there's a, you know, at first glance, this feels wrong to me. Mm -hmm. The show can make me believe it's it, it's okay by by telling sure. me that in the story. I yeah. don't think they did that in the animated. And I mean, in terms of how they feel for each other, sure. But in terms of like reconciling the the age difference, um, but and I I more what I more and and I can sort of reconcile it by being like, well, maybe she's not as old as I I, I might have thought she was. In this, it just looks much starker. Like sure, yeah. And I mean, you know? I do, I do think it's the sort of thing also that like. I mean, if you're that young, you're actually not that separated by that many years. Mm -hmm. And if it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like they're having a one night stand or something. It's like they're, you know, kind of like life mates for like decades. And so after a few years, like, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, just like I've never really dated anyone closer to me in age than they are Mm -hmm. to each other. I mean, granted, I've been an adult. You know, but like, and so so has everyone else. But like, sure. you know, um, I didn't really date in school. Um, right. But like, my point just being that, like, over time, if we're talking about like a long term relationship, yeah. like the age difference is like irrelevant in terms of them like being interested in each other and like getting it on. Like, yeah, no, that seems weird. That seems weird to me. He's twelve. Right. But like. I don't see that as that's not like it's not that kind of show, you know, like I feel like it's not that kind of romance. Right. But I don't know. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. It, it, just, it just was striking to me. But let, let's talk yeah. about Katara herself, because, again, I, I don't feel like she had enough to do that made her really stand out. And I think Katara's the, the character of Katara gets some really great stuff later in the show, including in mm-hmm. the season. But I there was nothing about her that made me feel like, oh, this is the wrong person. Like. I, I thought the look was great. I love that they got her hair perfect. Um, she felt very believable to me, and I, I really liked seeing her, and I want to see more of her. Yeah, she felt kind of like Aang to me, you know? <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt like they were both fine. I enjoyed their scenes together. I liked the I liked them kind of teaching each other a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's learning air, uh, water bending very fast. You know, but like, that's fine. Like, she's talented, right? I mean, it, it's a world where like bending is kind of this innate ability. It's like an innate talent, but then developing that talent is a skill, mm-hmm. you know? And so she's kind of not really been trained. She's deliberately not been trained throughout her life. So she's been kind of stumbling through on her own. And then finally, she gets to talk to a master bender who has some wisdom that helps her with her bending and then then she gets a scroll and like that's helpful too you know it's like oh now here's some concrete knowledge related to like water bending um her i i feel like she didn't have a lot of super cringy lines 
mm-hmm. that she had to deliver. I'm trying to remember. There were Grand Grand had to say most of the things <laughs> you, that were you, just Grand Grand, oh. Grand had to expedition and ex, uh, yeah. exposition dump. Like, yeah, th- maybe that saved us from having to like mm-hmm. have Katara deliver that lines and then yeah. have to like live with the character for the rest of the series, you know? Well, so le- let me actually ask listeners. Uh, if any of you did not watch the animated show, what did you think of when Grand Grand is in the sort of hall with all of them, and she says, you know, once the four nations lived in fire, once the four nations lived in harmony, but then the Fire Nation attacked, and she gives them kind of like, <laughs> it, uh, it, it's a speech, and she says, this is a story we've all heard. That is almost word for word in a way yeah. that made it jarring that it wasn't exactly word for word the exposition that came at the beginning of every single episode. Yeah. So it felt Voiced really- Voiced by Katara. Yeah. I'm wondering if to someone who hadn't heard that before, did that sound like a grandmother telling a story in a way that has been told down through the ages again and again? Or at least, these actually, or did it feel really awful? Because to me, it felt really awful. Yeah. But to all of us, I think. But I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm curious. To someone who hasn't seen the show, did it feel different? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious too. Yeah, it was too bad because other than that, I did love Grand Grand as well. I thought mm. she was very good. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> okay if you just ca- the casting beyond the main cast that we're gonna follow. Like, I'm really enjoying some of the people that they are they're mm-hmm. peppering in here. Um, so Grand Grand was played by Casey Camp Horanek, um, and then Yukari, who is um, Suki's mother. The the mayor of um, Kiyoshi Island yeah. is uh, played by Tamlin Tomita, who you may recognize as, uh, I believe it was Kumiko from Karate Kid 2 from way back in the 80s. And she 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 came back for Cobra Kai, whatever yeah. the, the season was. Yep, I remember that. And he that. went back to Japan. So and, and she's been in a lot of things. Uh, most recently, I think she was in Star Trek Picard. So seeing her in this was great for me. And that, that I, Kiyoshi Island, like her Suki, like the Kiyoshi avatar character, all of that. Give me all of that. Like more of that. We're not getting more of that. <laughs> we're barely probably going to come back, but that like, we were talking earlier about spinoffs. That's the spinoff I want is like mm. the Kiyoshi warriors spinoff and like all of those characters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or like just maybe like thread some of that goodness through the series, you know, let's see what's going on in the rest of the world. We don't like just have to follow the main characters, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. a lot of my absolute favorite characters get introduced in season two or three, so. Yeah. At, at least. Paul, you don't want to know about any future cat, any people that have been announced as being cast, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'd okay. rather only talk about the performances we see. The only ones I knew of were Paul Sun Young Lee and Dallas Liu, um, okay. who was in Shang-Chi, who originally I thought played the young Shang-Chi, but he didn't. He played Whoa. Aquafina's younger brother. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who was like barely had, he was just like there to annoy her, I think, mostly. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Katie's younger brother. Another thing I thought was done very well that, again, I was very trepidatious about, I freaking loved Appa. And Momo was oh, yeah. perfect. <laughs> Momo! Momo! Like, so good! Momo! They That's got more of a character. Yeah. I, like, that was, a, that was one of the few spots where I felt like 
I feel like they got more out of Momo than the show did for most of the time than yeah. the original. You Momo's know, like, a walking whimsy machine, it. and they yes. did him perfectly. Yes, um, looks great. He's hilarious. Like it's mm-hmm. I, the the relationship between Momo and Sokka already. I can yep. see kind of yes. you know. I mean, Sokka makes his meat jokes or whatever, but then it's like you could tell. Okay, you know they're gonna. Mm-hmm. This is where some of our whimsy and our humor and stuff is going to come from, and um, and uh, Appa as well for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I it's too bad Iro never gets on Appa because then we'd have Appa on top of Appa. Exactly, exactly. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean the scene where, uh, the scene where Ang hugs Appa, I tear oh, up. Yeah. Like that yeah. was very powerful. Yeah. So it was kind of like, like, don't put your hand right on his nose, dude. That's that's not comfortable. <laughs> I've had babies <laughs> do that to me, and it sucks. But you know, like, other than that, I loved it. Yeah. No. the The fact that that relationship is clearly so important to the storytellers that they understand mm-hmm. that, like, Appa's Ang's only living friend from yeah. his old life so far. Um, you know, like that's a big deal. Like that's a relationship that sur- survived a hundred years in an iceberg, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, to me, that was like one of the top things that I really was hoping that we'd get, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's just a little, you know, it's, it's subtle so far. Hopefully we'll get, you know, all the way through the various parts of the story that I love so much, you know, but just mm-hmm. even just getting that much is something that I feel like, the first adaptation was just completely disinterested in, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. So that's it. So, all right, we've gone for a good long time. Um, we're not going to do bonus content. Uh, frankly, we're giving you four episodes in four days. And I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, but members, you are getting these episodes earlier. Uh, and di- because of the way that I post these episodes, I work with other folks who generally don't work on the weekend. It may be that the episodes are going to come out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, but I imagine a lot of people are not going to watch the whole show until over the weekend. So, um, but this episode will definitely go out on Friday and then you'll get the, the others possibly Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or, or a couple days later, but any of the last comments either you want to make? I'm really looking forward to seeing more of Zuko. Um, I just think the, the sort of anger and desperation that mm-hmm. I've gotten from the character along with the complete absence of malice yeah. You know, like there's this rage, but it's this rage that's not at the people that he like he didn't want to burn the village to the town, the yeah. to the ground. He just was going to, you know. But like it it sells the character for me in a way that I feel like it took the animated series a while to get to the point where I I feel like they've given me a better Zuko here than the mm-hmm. animated series did in the first 10 episodes. Um, and so I'm hopeful that the whole arc will just be, yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And speaking of Zuko, one thing I noticed that they seem to be maybe emphasizing more was Zuko's belief that the avatar, I think he calls him the ultimate warrior. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause when Aang gets, um, escapes from his ship. He says, he ran the ultimate warrior. Yeah. And and so, like, he has this image in his head of what the Avatar Mm -hmm. is supposed to be. And the fact that it's this kid, first off, is a surprise. But then the fact that he's running away. I I hope that this is something that they keep revisiting. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, it is a part of Zuko's journey. Is that 
understanding that it's it's not about how you use your bending in terms of fighting and might, but about the heart. Yeah. yeah. I think it's all really true. And I'll say, I still don't think overall it's a good thing, but I will say one positive of those first scenes was, in, in terms of what we're talking about here, that sense of malice you're talking about, Paul, that we didn't feel, I mm-hmm. absolutely did feel from the firebenders attacking first that Earth Nation guy, and then later the uh, Air Nation, the Air Nomad. Oh, temple. right, right. And I feel like it made Zuko's wow. really stand out because I, you know, those people were they, you know, they're fighting for the Fire Nation. They want to defeat the Fire Nation's enemies. They want to kill these other people. Zuko to me feels like. He wants to do what will get his his honor back in the eyes of his father. Yeah, and yeah. the father has said the avatar needs to be captured, and so that's why he's captured. He doesn't. It's not that he thinks his father's wrong. Right. It's that he's just not questioning it. Right. There's, right. He has no independent belief that the avatar has to be captured or that yeah. the water tribe, water nation, has to be destroyed. It's just like sure. this is the goal, and I will do anything that gets in the goal's way. But yeah, no, no, no malice, no, no sadism there. Yeah. And, and to that point, I feel like the conversation between Iroh and Aang was actually, yeah. I I feel like that was actually a really nice addition. Yeah. Like Aang being like, why are you fighting this war? Why is this war going on? And Iroh kind of answering the question without saying what he thought, really, you know, I thought, it was a really nice way of framing it and kind of helping to understand how the Fire Nation and its military um, can be the antagonist, but it doesn't mean that they're all evil. Like what they're doing is evil, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it's like most of the people are just doing what they're doing. And yeah. like the fact that Zuko has just been brought up this way and that Iroh's just lived in this world as, you know, the fire prince once upon a time. It's, it's, it, it gives some perspective that I feel we don't get until season two or three in the animated show. And yeah. that's not a fault of the animated show. I think it's interesting the way they do it, but I think it's nice to kind of have that early here, you yeah. know, and, and it gives me hope that we'll, we'll get deeper into that. Maybe that maybe that'll be something that for, for all the things that I've complained about so far, that maybe, maybe this series does have kind of something to say on top of what the original series had to say. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that's the flip side of what I said earlier about the Suki situation, right? Like Suki is destined to disappear now as a character, unfortunately, but the fact that, that the writers of this show know about the entire backstory of Iroh means that they can better prepare the audience and pepper stuff like that scene in with Aang, yeah, which I agree sure. was like was perfect. So yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Well, I, oh, go ahead. I'm actually, I just want to thank both of you because now I actually want to watch the next two episodes. Yeah, and before this, I, I mean, I was gonna, but like I was like, I, you know, I feel a little more optimistic, a little more, you know, I can grab onto the the parts that I enjoy and kind of let the parts I don't as much maybe pass. I I mean, I was right there. Like that opening is so jarring as a Mm -hmm. fan of the animated show and the, the brutality of what um, the fire fire Lord Sozin does in that scene was just a shock. It was an absolute shock. 
and I, it, it seems deliberate. Like that whole beginning seems very yeah. deliberate for setting the tone here and making yeah. sure that people understand that A, it's not the animated show and B, it's not the previous live action movie mm-hmm. in, in yeah. both in all the good and the bad ways. Yeah. I think that's really true. And I think that's probably exactly what it was. It was, it was a sign of if you're looking for a, a shot for shot remake of the original, this is not it. You know, we are not doing that. And in some ways, it makes me almost wait, wish this was a weekly show um, mm. because then you give it a little bit more time to settle. But also, I, I just want to know. I want to see everything else. Because you know? <laughs> frankly, I just mostly what's going to kill me is like if I do really get invested in this show, then waiting another year for the Earth Kingdom stuff. Um, so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. see. But all right. Well, thank you both so much. This was such a good conversation. And yeah, mm-hmm. I when when Paul got started and I was like, oh, he's right. They're so right. I was worried this was just going to turn into 90 minutes of bashing it. And I'm really glad we didn't do that. And I thank you both for helping to make sure we didn't go in that direction. So thank you both so much to our listeners. Really want to know what you have to say. Um, as always, you can find all the ways to contact us by looking at the show notes or just searching for The Ethical Panda on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. You can become a member, get bonus content, ad-free content. And we're actually doing full bonus episodes right now only on the star wars podcast but we're also doing that here eventually you get all that and it's only five dollars a month great way to help support us and just be a part of what we're going on if you like avatar if you like discussing avatar please share this with your friends tell your friends about it get them in the conversation uh follow us on social media interact do all the things such a great way to help help keep the conversation going so i'm uh, so on behalf of myself ricky and paul thank you all so much we have spoken Yep, yep. Right.